This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, here we are once again with the DLR Cast, episode number 22. I'm Steve, along with my good friend Darren. What's happening? Steve, this is uh, 2021, so another great year of working with you and making the DLR Cast happen, you know? Yeah, it's it's fun. It's definitely happening, and we've got a great guest we'll get to in a minute. But first, there is, as usual, a little bit of not so much Dave-related, but some Van Halen-related news. It, 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 I don't think a week can go by without somewhere, somehow, Sammy Hagar mentioning that there is going to eventually be a Van Halen tribute concert to Eddie. And this time, a couple of days ago, if you're hearing this uh, sometime, I think it was around the 15th or so of January... This is going to drop in a couple of days. We're at the weekend after that. So it's the 15th of January. He was on, where was it? He was on Q104.3, the New York City station, near, not too far from you. And yeah. he said that uh, him and Michael Anthony were on and they were asked if there were plans to do a tribute show to Eddie. And he said, quote, it's got to happen. Of course, it's going to happen. No one's really connected all the dots with everyone's involved, with everyone involved. But I have been told I have read interviews with various people involved with Wolfie and Valerie and Eddie's wife, Janie, that they all said as soon as this is over, he doesn't specify what is over. We're going to get everybody together and do a tribute or whatever. Just a thank you, a goodbye, a send off. It's an absolute must. I don't care if it takes 10 years. That will happen. And I, if it happens this year, I think I'd be surprised because yeah. Wolfie's doing what he should and wants to do. And that's everything about, you know, with Mammoth and his record, which is going to be out sometime soon. And he has mentioned that there might be a they may eventually do a tribute show with proceeds going to Eddie's favorite charity, which was Mr. Holland's Opus. What do you think? If you had a bet, would you see a tribute concert this year and who would be in it? Because I can tell you who's not going to be in it. (laughs) I think you can read my mind and who's not going to be in it. And he may be the namesake of this podcast. But (laughs) the quote that you read, didn't it not name Alex? You know what? Wolfie. Well, he said he he said uh, he's read interviews of various people involved. So is he referring to the interviews read? Because Alex has done no interviews. And Alex is. According to Wolfie and other people, he's the leader of the Van Halen estate. So it's almost like I can't think on the fly of a great, great uh, equivalent, but it's kind of like asking everybody but the father of the bride if you can marry the bride. And yeah, like, well, the mother's cool with it and uh, the sister's cool with it and her best friend's cool with it. I think they're all cool with it. And you're like, uh, you didn't ask the dad. In this case, you didn't ask Alex, maybe. Yeah, well, you know what? It's interesting you mentioned that because a few days before Sammy and Eddie were on Q, uh, Sammy and Eddie, oh my goodness, Sammy and Michael were on Q104 in New York. Uh, earlier that week, a few days before that, Michael was on a radio station, Casey, the famous KSHE in St. Louis. And he said, Michael said that he spoke briefly with Alex right after Eddie died. Uh, and But he said in this quote, I want them to have their privacy. Alex has been pretty much grieving or however you want to put it, pretty much been to himself. So I'm just kind of letting that happen. And I'm sure at one point we'll talk again here or even get together. It's great that everybody is, you know, talking and all that. I love all that, of course. No one's talking about Dave. Um, no one's talking to Dave, apparently. But I, there's one person who's, with the exception of the song that was released in illustration, uh, and I'm not surprised. Dave's been absolutely quiet about this, about everything, you know, about a couple illustrations. Uh, I mean, his new music has come out since then, and he said that somewhere over the Rainbow Bar and Grill was somehow channeling Eddie, even though it was recorded eight, nine years before that. 
who knows what the story is. I think if there was ever to be a, a tribute concert, which I'm not against. I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, I'm decrying it. I think you got to wait a long time. I mean, I don't know if I would be going on about it, talking about it, even two or three months down the road. It's got to be driving, you know, if, if I'm sure at some point Wolf's just going to be like, would you, you know, I've addressed this. Stop asking questions about it. You know, I think it would be a great thing to do. Although, my goodness, if you ever want to if you ever want to show a reminder to everybody how Eddie can't be touched on guitar, just get a whole ton of people. People trying to play Van Halen songs, <laughs> you know. Love a good tribute or all-star concert. I really, really do. And I would have a hunch if Sammy were producing it, it'd be on Access TV because that's where his reality show was for ten seasons or something. And then there was the Eddie Money tribute concert, which you could tell Sammy played a big hand in. Every episode of of Eddie Money's reality show called Real Money, which is actually really entertaining, said special thanks, Sammy and Carrie Hagar in the credits. So mm. I don't know if that's just like they connected the the Money family with Access TV or something. But, you know, Hagar was in an episode or two of that, and Eddie Money was on a, on a Sammy Hagar episode or two of his travel show. I think it's a close-knit circle right there, and that's where that would happen. But this Eddie Money tribute concert was not the best. It was a little haphazard. Like, it had great names, but they kind of left in the mistakes, unfortunately. Right. And a lot of the people sent in. I wanted to be there, but I'm currently on tour kind of video messages, which shows that they didn't plan it that far in advance. In other yeah, words, I suppose too soon. Whereas if you wait 10 years on this, unfortunately, the Van Hagen event, Van Hagen, the Van Halen <laughs> legacy, it needs a shot in the arm. It's a, it sounds like a cold thing to say, but you're going to have more Billie Eilish kind of scenarios in the near future with the next generation of pop and rock stars, if they don't get this happening in a good amount of time, would you say? I would think so. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, um, you, you can, we can write a pretty quick list about guitar. I mean, if it's going to be a tribute show, it's got to feature a, a ton of great guitar players, right? So I would want to see Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, Nuno Betancourt, a ton of people who, you know, have either, touched on and played some Van Halen, uh, you know, like Steve Vai and, uh, you know, in particular, or certainly has been influenced by Eddie. But, you know, I mean, how do you do that? Is it is it Michael and Alex doing the backing? You know, are they the rhythm section for the whole thing? And then Sammy gets up and does his stuff. I mean, and there's guest guitar players. I mean, there's you could we could do a whole other episode about this. But I'll tell you, like I mentioned up at the top, I think there's one person who I can't see being there at all. And that's Dave. Yeah, he didn't show up to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I was just going to say that. Wasn't his quote something like he likes to sing for a supper and they were kind of restricting him about what he could and couldn't do. So he didn't want to do it anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, that sounds vaguely familiar, but it just, you know, knowing what we've seen Dave do and not do, I just can't. I would in a perfect world. I, I know I'm sure fans would love to see it, you know, be a part of the tribute show if there is to be one. But I just, man, it seems kind of far-fetched, right? Him walking out there to do two. But, hey, you know what? I, Ten years ago, if you told me he was going to show up to do uh, do Panama with with the Foo Fighters, I would have said, nah, I don't think so. I don't know. But you know what? Stranger things have happened. It seems like everything that Van Halen did in the last 20 years was like a an impromptu announcement. 
and uh, oh, they'll never do this, and then they they do it. You know, who was expecting a different kind of truth? Obviously, no, but, knew that they were working on it internally. Right, but they successfully kept that under wraps, and I think if Sammy's involved in anything, nothing will be kept under wraps. Yeah, and this isn't meant to be critical or mean about the guy. It's just over time, there's certain people who talk about things before they happen, and then there's other people who just under-promise and over-deliver every single time. And I guess that's a reason why maybe Eddie and Sammy were not always hand-in-hand. Something yeah, big push. I I suppose it's, it's easy enough to speculate about that stuff. I think if you're Sammy, though, I think I think it's if you keep talking about it, while it seems very advantageous or very you know jump you know kind of kind of what's the word I'm looking for here? It seems a little uh, advantageous, I guess. But it's another way of also keeping the idea out there and maybe pushing something forward, right? By just saying it publicly. I mean, you know, it's one way to kind of maybe try to move the ball a little bit and keep things moving. I just think right now to talk about it, it's Eddie just died in October. It's really soon. Wolfie's got his own thing going. Just, you know, let it be, you know, you could put something, you you know, I mean, you don't even have to pick a certain anniversary date to do this. You don't have to say if we're going to do it on this particular date or whatever, that might be, you know, you don't have to do it on Eddie's birthday or the anniversary of his death, which to me sounds might be a little bit tacky, but you know what? Just say, listen, this isn't on the table for 2021. And who knows how COVID will impact anything anyway. Let's, you know what, let's just put a pin in this and we'll talk about this in 2022 or at the end of this year. And, you know, for now, just let this stuff kind of sit. Well, one fear I would have about that all happened a weekend or two ago about the David Bowie uh, rival tribute shows that did not acknowledge each other that happened at the same time there's the one that mike garson presented with a bunch of people who played with david bowie over the years and guest vocalists your perry farrells your taylor hawkins from the foo fighters a really like intricate three to four hour live stream thing that had some tech problems to it and at the same time there was a david bowie lazarus couple of screenings of the the Broadway show that he'd helped produce at the end of his life about his music. Okay. And you have to kind of think about that and go, was Bowie the kind of artist who liked the new stuff or was Bowie the kind of artist who liked to look back at the hits? I think he can read my mind. Yeah. On that. Yeah. One of those came from the Bowie estate and the other maybe did not come from the Bowie estate without saying which is which. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, on this, when I think a little bit more about the possibility of a tribute concert, you know, who I could see possibly not doing it is yeah. Alex. Huh. That's a that's a, a good point. And if he doesn't do it, what's the point then? You know what I mean? It's like then it's then it becomes a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame situation where you get the two guys who, yeah, mean made a difference, but not the two guys who. You, how, you know what I mean? It's like I'm not knocking anybody else, but my goodness, you got to if, if one has died, it can't be there. You got to get the other person who's, yeah. who was responsible for this band ever happening in the first place in even its most embryonic form. He's got to be there, right? Yeah. Well, uh, on a brighter note, should we talk about the exclusive rumor that I got? Keeping in mind that it's a, it's a rumor of rumors. 
Yes, yes. Let's predicate this by a rumor. Many other podcasts will throw rumors out there and just toss it out there just to just to get downloads. <laughs> Let's predicate this by saying it is a rumor. It's a rumor from a credible source. Maybe yes. there's good, a good way to say that. So uh, earlier today, I did an interview with David Fishoff, who a lot of people know as being the founder of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, which for 25 years has done that kind of thing where you know, everyday people get to jam with famous rock stars and all of your favorite bands have had representatives from those bands partake in that, Sammy Hagar included. And he, because of COVID, you know, there's not so much in-person stuff right now. The past six, seven months, Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp has been doing a thing called online masterclasses where you go, hey, I love Ted Nugent. I'm going to give 200 bucks to watch Ted Nugent do a masterclass and be able to interact and watch him jam and all that. Some of them are as cheap as 25 bucks. It's really cool if you check it out. Odds are some of your favorite musicians have done this and are doing it. So you follow me so far. Yeah. And David that's just one successful thing that he did. Like all the monkey success in the eighties, you could pretty much attribute to David. The Ringo Starr all-star band is his. He relaunched and packaged so many things. The guy is an icon, but like a way behind the scenes kind of guy. And there's a new movie about him called rock camp. And uh, I was interviewing him and I said, Hey, so I'm looking at your upcoming shows. You got great things. You have Roger Daltrey and Alice Cooper and all that. I don't see anything for Van Halen, anything like that you might ever do. And he goes, we're thinking about doing a tribute to Eddie Van Halen, or we have people talking about his legacy, and we're figuring that one out. So it's not like he said no or maybe. <laughs> he Interesting. Like a concrete kind of thing. So I would assume that's a Sammy thing right there. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I'll tell you, that just brings to mind, too. I mean, I would love sooner than a tribute concert, I would love to see an actual very real documentary. Oh, on it, if not for if not about Van Halen, which said, I would love to see a documentary, frankly, just about Eddie. And yeah, Van Halen's obviously a huge part of it. But his life, how he came up, I mean, when you read about him, I mean, you know, and just what, you know, how this guy just that all he did was practice. All he did was play guitar. I mean, you know, you're hard pressed to find. I mean, the people who have spent those 10,000 plus hours live like that. But he was like just at another level. To say the least, and not just on one instrument, mind you, because the stories are coming out more and more of him being that good on drums as well. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that is a very interesting rumor. And you know what? We should mention, too, before we get into the interview, that we just passed an anniversary, actually. On January 15th, one of my favorite Dave albums, A Little Ain't Enough, was released in 1990, uh, 1991. January 15th, 1991, produced by Bob Rock. Of course, that Jason Becker on guitar. Uh, and before he was, you know, just a year or two, a couple years, maybe a year or two before he uh, uh, had uh, got Lou Gehrig's. And, uh, of course, also had the Bissonette brothers who you interviewed yeah. in a previous uh, episode of the D for the DLR cast. So um, cool anniversary there. Yeah, it's 30 years. Um, some of the album does sound like it's been 30 years. <laughs> but uh, I, One of the internet radio stations I listen to a lot while working, I'd say three or four songs from that album are in regular rotation. And Little Ain't Enough is a great album. Um, it's not my favorite Dave album, but it's it's a great album. 
It is. We're going to have to touch on that more in a future episode. So, But before we get to that, let's talk about this week's interview. And it's dawned on me yet, yet again, this is another Darren solo interview. And uh, man, if I... If my ego was any bigger, I would feel like I'm being shut out here. I know our schedules don't always match, but uh, but before we get into my issues, let's <laughs> let's at least mention the fact that it is a great interview. We've got Sammy Figueroa, musician, uh, keyboardist, I believe, right? Well, I think he does play some keyboard on the side, but famed, famed percussionist. I mean, yes, Dr. Dave, not just Miles Davis. Like, how many people can do rock, jazz, pop? He did Mariah Carey work, Whitney Houston work. He's, I would call him like top three percussionists, session percussionists of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I think that's yes. There's like him, Lenny Castro, not a lot of people. And, and my faux pas, my brain fart there for keyboards. Yes, he's a percussionist and a, a renowned one. And, of course, he's played on Crazy from the Heat. He played on uh, Skyscraper. He played on Eat Him and Smile. And his discography is crazily huge. And a ton of jazz folks, a ton of uh, Latin music, but also a ton of rock folks, too. He played on a Billy Squire record. I mean, he's yeah. – I mean, my goodness. I mean, you know, he's played with Blondie, Benny King, <laughs> Charlie Mingus, Carol King, Carly Simon. This guy's discography, Hall & Oates, is just insane. Da the aforementioned David Bowie. I mean, yeah. who is this guy not – you know, if this guy's played with everybody. But you left out the best album by David Lee Roth that he played on, and that's Sonrisa Salvaje. Oh, good Lord. Yes. This... <laughs> okay, technically you know, he played on that. <laughs> he did play on that. I did bring that up to him during the interview. And as for why you're getting left out of the interviews, I mean, I did ask you to score my movie, Steve. <laughs> yes, my schedule's been a little tight. <laughs> yeah, you said it was the final straw, something about – that I did, I quit the podcast. You didn't fire. Me. I don't know what it is. But, uh, yeah, it's, we're airing our dirty laundry in the press. It's it, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. Steve likes to go to parties. I am the party. <laughs> <laughs> Darren plans and puts together the whole party too. So Anne is there at the party. So yeah, I also stole our management team. Uh, yes. And producer, but though no, all seriousness, like Sammy was the nicest guy. He does have a live stream concert too coming up, which we'll link in the liner notes. And uh, hey, I I'm just blown away that how quickly he was available, how nice he was, and he only had nothing but great things to say about his time with Dave. And something that I brought up to him during the interview, I don't think that anyone else played on both Eat Him and Smile and Crazy from the Heat besides him. Yeah, you know what? The other only constant there is uh, Ted Templeman, right, who produced both? Yeah. So, you know, if he was good enough to keep around there, um, his name isn't in the Skyscraper liner notes, which is the weird part. I looked at the vinyl version. It's on his Wikipedia, the regular Wikipedia. I don't know if it had him. And it's on his website. But I'm not sure which song like he could have easily just done uh, the tambourine on just like Paradise or something like that. Right, right. Because it's a very keyboardy, percussiony kind of song. I forgot to ask about that. But if he did play on the first three albums, no one else did. So obviously he was a good hang beyond being a great percussionist. 
Yeah, well, Lord knows. I mean, if you're Dave, I would love nothing. I'm sure Sammy's stories with all those people. I mean, just if you're Dave, you want to soak that up. So, dude, you played with Bowie. You played with this guy. I mean, I mean, a lot of the guys Sammy's played with is probably in Dave's record collection. Miles Davis and all. So, hey, that's all I have to say about that with Sammy Figueroa. Good guy. Good time. Good deal. Good deal. Excellent. Yeah. Fun times, man. Fun times. And uh, in, in all seriousness, though, I mean, the interviews you've been nabbing, whether I'm there or not, have just been fantastic. And uh, Lord knows I'm having a great time uh, being a part of all this. Don't break character, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I ruined it already. Good Lord. <laughs> no, all good. Thank, thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, thanks to Sammy for a great interview. The other Sammy, that is. Yeah. Enjoy. How you doing, Darren? You're good? I'm doing as good as anybody can be, you know? Yeah, me too. Me too. I guess we're all doing the same way. But at least you and I are not sick, Darren, so we're good, right? Well said, yeah. Sammy. And I am so glad to be speaking with you because I've been hearing your work for decades. You're one of those guys who's played with everybody from every genre, yet not everybody realizes that's the guy who's been behind the whole thing. I tell you, I'm very, uh, I was uh, one of those fortunate guys, you know, that I was at the right place at the right time, you know, <laughs> and, and, I, and I guess when I lived in New York, you know, I'm from New York City, right? but, uh, you know, I was there when everybody and their mother lived there from Herbie Hancock to Chaka Khan, yes. Diana Ross, I mean, it's amazing that everybody lived in Manhattan for a period of a time of 15, 20 years. And I was right there in the middle of all that. So I'm very grateful that that happened. You know, I was one of the lucky ones because, you know, Darren, there were a lot of percussionists, you know, from Ralph McDonald to Crusher Bennett. Uh, oh, my God. Rubens Bassini. There were so many. But the beautiful thing about that is that they were all my friends, yeah. you know, so nobody was jealous of anybody because we were all different and and actually we all learned from each other you mm -hmm. know you know well, so uh that's, that's the part that was something that i was actually going to ask you about because in some professions people hang out with the people who do a similar thing to them and other ones everyone's kind of been competition so i didn't yeah. know if you're you were like well oh no me and lenny castro are tight or you're like oh no 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 me and lenny no oil and water well, Lenny was different because Lenny was California. I was the East Coast, you know. Uh, so we, we were in different, in different cities. Mm -hmm. but, but Lenny and I were really close, man, because uh, if I went to L.A., I would hang out with Lenny. He would call, pick me up at the airport, and, and he was my brother, you know. So he, I loved him. I loved Lenny, man. He was a so, he's a soulful guy still today. Mm -hmm. He's got a heart this big, bigger than life in itself. He's humble. He's beautiful. And he's, he's one of my buddies, man, in this whole thing. There's well, no jealousy at all, you know. I'm so glad to hear that because I don't know if two dentists could hang out uh, <laughs> without going <laughs> and trying to steal each other's patients. But well, it's kind of like there was enough work to go around exactly. in the 70s, 80s, 90s. And even today, if you're willing to take on those vanity projects and home recording things remotely. Yeah. You know, look, percussion and drums, it's a very chauvinistic, macho kind of an instrument, you know? 
Yeah. And, 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 and that's the reality of it, you know? So yeah, I understand that there is a lot of competition and, uh, and I've met some of those quote unquote, you know, egotistical guys, you know, you run into those guys, sure. but you know, I pay no mind to any of that because I think it's silly. It's immature. And, and when that has been across in my life, I, I just continue to be who I am. And I, I, I ignore all that kind of stuff. I, I don't, I don't dwell on that. But I could say the, the majority of the part, they were all nice people, you know? I work with Dave Weckl, with Vinny Calyuta, all those guys, you know, and some of the best in the world, Steve Gatt. I can go on and on. And, and all of them, I have to say that not one of those monsters, and they're like the best still today. There's nobody that can touch those guys. They're as humble as a, as a, as a, as a 13-year-old child. You know, <laughs> I mean, Vinny, Vinny, who is one of my heroes, you know, and because there are very few drummers, percussionists that today, even after 30, 40 years, they are still as simple and as beautiful as can be. And, and Vinny is one of those guys. You and know? he can play the, the, the black page, which not many people can do. Exactly. You're absolutely <laughs> right. You know, he is. Uh, what you call the complete artiste, you know? He's yeah. not a musician, he's an artiste. Yeah. Because when you can play piano, bass, and he never talks about it, you know? Uh, oh. But I'll, I'll say it. He plays great piano, great bass. He's an incredible composer. And he's dedicated his life to rhythm, you know? And he is the true artist of rhythm, you know? You get people like Gad and those guys. Those guys are really artists. They're artists. They're not musicians. There's a lot of musicians, but very few artists. You have driven that point home, and I totally agree. And speaking of artists, I was thinking about this when I was looking at the, the liner notes of the first three David Lee Roth albums. Oh, and yeah. I think you're the only person who played on both Crazy from the Heat and Eat em and Smile, the first full-length studio album. There's no other names that I recall as playing on both of those albums. Is that your understanding, too? Yeah, yeah. Well, we uh, Billy Sheehan, you know, he's a famous bass player. Sure. You know, and Greg Bissonette and all those guys, and Steve Vai. I mean, all three of them are monsters, you know. But I tell you, you know, honestly, Darren, I don't even remember how the hell I got in that gig. Honestly, I was trying to remember how I got it, and I can't remember. I think I have an idea. There, yeah. There's two possibilities. Either you were tight with Ted Templeman, or because you did so much work with Sheik, that Nile Rogers brought you in. Any any recollection? Well, you know, the only thing I remember vaguely, yes, I remember working with Nile. That that's unforgettable. I worked with him for over 15 years. You know, I did so many records with him. Actually, I was the only percussion that was doing all his work. I think that what happened, you know, I think you're right. It was Ted Templeman because I was very close to Ted, you know, and Ted loved me so much. And he had a, a thing, you know, he would call me for everything, you know? And I go, Ted, are you sure? Yeah, man, I want you on this gig. But, you know, he said something to me very interesting, you know, because I didn't know, you know, I, I'm just going by what I play. You know, he said to me, look, it's not just about the playing, you know? The playing is great, but it's your vibe and the character that you bring into the studio mm -hmm. and, and your jokes and your personality. Because we, 
you know, we can get anybody we want, you know, that can play technically amazing, but to get somebody that has character and who's funny and, and it has a sense of humor and that's on time all the time and that can cover this kind of rock and roll shit, you know, he said very few people can do that. And you're in, you're, this is your thing. So we wanted you. We didn't want so-and-so. We wanted you. Yeah. We wanted, we wanted the whole package. And, and, you know, it was when he told me that, I said, oh, wow. I, you know, Darren, I didn't even think of none of that. You know, I, I only thought about going into the studio, doing a professional job and going home. But, but it never really was like that. When I went in the studio, I became those guys' friends. Yeah. And, and when I did the first session with David, you know, David and I hit it off immediately. You know, we were pals. And, and I was talking to David Lee Ross like almost every day on the phone. Hey, man, what are you doing, bro? And I would go, what do you mean? he go, come on to my house, man. Let's go hang out. And then he lived in Central Park at that time. You know, his father was a dentist. So he was one of those young rock and rollers, you know, that was living with his father. <laughs> and, and then finally he got his place. And we were hanging out deep, man, over there. And it's, uh, and it's, and it's Brownstone talking about music, playing, jamming. He even bought a set of percussion so I can come and play, you know? Really? And, uh, it, it was, it was a, I got to tell you, man, rock and roll is so much fun, you know? I'm a rock freak. You know, I love rock and roll. That's how I started, basically, even before the Latin music. I right. started playing rock and roll and jazz, you know? Don't let the Miles Davis credits uh, fool you. You know, you played everything, rock, jazz, Latin, everything. It sounded like, you always knew how to fit into the picture, but the era that you were playing with, with David Lee Roth, the first EP was kind of all over the place stylistically because it had the Louis Prima cover, it had the Beach Boys cover. So it was kind of like the show tunes showman kind of Dave. So do you remember about those sessions? Was it you just showed up and you got the charts or were there rehearsals? You mean for the David Lee Roth? Yeah, first for the Crazy from the Heat EP. No, you know something? I went into the studio. We were at Power Station. You know, it's one of the most famous studios in the world. As yeah. a matter of fact, Power Station just reopened. That's crazy. Yeah. And uh, it went to two different changes, Avatar or something else. And now somebody bought it and said, no, man, we're going to go back to uh, Power Station. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it used to be owned by Tony Van Jovi, you know. Yeah, and Toby's a brother, but no, you know, they called me and I went in the studio. There were no charts. Uh, there was nothing. It, it was they had a a lead, a lead sheet, and then the ending. And we sort of went in there and we rehearsed. We were jamming, really. That's what we were doing. Like if it was a concert, we started jamming for about three hours, and then by the third third hour, we said, "Hey, man, that's it." We don't have to do shit. Let's just record now. And and the engineer, you know, was Bob Clear Mountain, who yeah, the mixing king, the mixing king, man. And yeah. and he became he became uh, what do you say? He became one of the top engineers in the world. You know, mm -hmm. instead of mixing, he went to king king engineer. So he just said, man, just play, and I'll record. Let's record these two cuts and see what happens. And man, we did, we did that tune, Crazy from the Heat, in one take. And David said, oh, I'm not touching that anymore. That's it. I love it. 
because if we do it again, we're gonna we're gonna mess it up, you know, and it's not gonna be the same. I said, no, no, let's let's do another one for safety. And he said, okay. Take was it, you know, and because we were having so much fun in those days, I mean, we love what we did that it was very easy to do one take on a lot of tunes, you know. We weren't there for technical reports. We weren't there for, hey, we're going to do a hit. Uh, we're here to have fun, and that's it. And whatever happens, even if we take five days to do this one tune, we'll do it. But fortunately, we did that record pretty fast, you know. And then after that, we waited about a month, and then we went on tour, you know. And, that, and the tour was just crazy, man. There were thousands and thousands of people that came for that first concert. And when we went on stage, I never forget that first feeling of like 20,000 people going absolutely apeshit, you know? And uh, I really didn't realize it. I heard, I heard the screaming and all that, but it, did, it didn't sink into me. I was on stage already playing and the people were going mad and pounding and, and then it was like that for the, for the following two hours of our show, you know? We, when we went backstage, man, there were so many people that, that they had to escort us into, a, into one of these, <laughs> these trucks, man, so nobody could hurt us, you know? And then we waited a couple of hours. We came down to sign some autographs. But, man, there were in some autographs. There were thousands of them. And, <laughs> and, of course, it was David who was the star, right? But still, it was, it was just phenomenal. You don't see that anymore, you know? It's very yeah. difficult to see that kind of, you know, and now with COVID, of course, you're not going to see any concert of that nature with that kind of a crowd because of COVID, you know? But, uh, but I do have those great memories, you know? And when I say that you played on the first you know, two releases of David Lee Roth. It's actually technically three because you played on Sonrisa Salvaje, which is <laughs> the Edom and Smile in Spanish. And yeah. of course your percussion focus, it's a, it's a real focal point of the song going crazy. But I'm yeah. curious, were you in the studio for that whole album or is it just come in for the one track and you were kind of gone? Oh, no, no, no. I was there for the whole thing. We, uh, we spent about a week or two living in the studio, eating there from 10 in the morning till one in the morning, you know? I was living in the studio with those guys every single day. And, and I tell you, I never got tired. I wanted more, you know? <laughs> because, you know, we were having so much fun anyway, and laughing and, and reading great books and comparing knowledge and, you know, especially Steve. Steve Vai and I were really good friends because Steve didn't drink or smoke or did anything. He was, a, he was an organic vegetarian, you know? He never got into the drugs like David did later, you know? But uh, so Steve and I were very close because we got to exchange a lot of wisdom and knowledge. And uh, we were both into the same thing, metaphysics, science, biology, you know, all of that stuff, uh, quantum physics. We, you know, we were talking about existentialism and all that shit and, and even art, you know? We were talking about, you know, Gauguin and all that stuff and all the <laughs> artwork uh, and, and Morello. And, and, you know, he, he really loved knowledge. And, and this is where 
where I came in because I was a, I was a big book collector and mm -hmm. I had thousands of books, man. Like some people collect records. I collected books, you know? So, uh, yeah, man, we, we had a ball. And that Sonrisa Salvaje album, the, the story goes that Billy Sheehan read some article and said that 20% of all uh, hard rock music in the LA metro area was bought by Spanish speaking people. Dave speaks fluent Spanish as the story goes. Did yeah. you and him ever converse in Spanish? Did he ever use you for practicing Spanish? Yeah, yeah, he did, man. He, he, uh, he came up to me one day in the studio while I was in my booth and he sat there and he started speaking Spanish. I said, holy shit, you speak Spanish? And he said, claro que sí. I said, you're freaking me out, man. I'm like, I can't believe this, man. And, and, and we spoke Spanish for about 20 minutes, but then we had to go back to work. So we waited till the session was over late in the night. And then we started speaking more Spanish. And, uh, and the, all the rest of the guys in the band were cracking up because they didn't know what the hell we were talking about. But he loved Spanish people. He made it his business to learn Spanish because he had a Spanish girlfriend, you know, and the whole deal. And at the time, you know, yeah. he had a Puerto Rican girlfriend and then he had a, another girlfriend that was Spanish a, a year later. And oh, man, he was all into the whole culture, you know, the food. Oh, man, he loved to go to Cuban, Puerto Rican, you know, all kinds of Latin restaurants, you know, and have food after the session, go to a real late. Cuban, Puerto Rican, whatever, and eat at two in the morning, you know? Well, you mentioned the theme of there wasn't a lot of sleep going on. So that kind of jogs no. the whole thing. <laughs> well, we were young, you know, we didn't, we didn't care, you know? Uh, yep. Music was our, our, our sleep. I went home and I slept for like for four hours and that was enough. <laughs> that, that was it for me. I wanted, I wanted to get back in the studio. Yeah. So as I've said a few times here, your credits are just Mariah Carey, Miles Davis, David Lee Roth, Whitney Houston. It's all over the place. There's not one period where you can go, well, this is when Sammy's career was good because the other period stunk. It, it's been a great consistent thing. What have uh, you been up to the past couple of years? Any exciting projects that we should be knowing about and, and following? Well, I, I've done five albums of my own. Mm -hmm. You know, Sammy figure. I don't know if you've seen them, but... I've seen I, it, but I was being the I've good been, interviewer that gives you the open floor. <laughs> nominated three times for the Grammy, so I'm yeah. very happy. And, and uh, uh, the projects that I've been doing I, I, lately was, I just did a project uh, uh, about a month ago with a, a brilliant musician. His name is John DeVersa. And John came out of California. You know, he was a professor of USC. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where Yellow Jackets is, you know, Russ Ferranti, all those guys, oh, yeah. Will Kennedy, he got them all in there, you know, and, uh, and John, John is a young man, you know, he's a young guy, and he, he's been on those, those really hip records like Moonchild, you know, that, that group is out of San Diego, you know, all those guys went to USC and were students of John, and mm -hmm. now they're, they're the, like the hottest electronica group in the in the world right now yeah. and so john got an offer he couldn't refuse uh from um university of miami mm -hmm. and he moved here and he's been living here for about a year with his wife and kid and he loves it here so we did an album he called me to do an album 
with uh, with three master musicians that I admire. One of them is a pianist called Gonzalo Rubalcaba. And if you never heard of, he's already a four-time Grammy Award winner. He's like one of those guys that came out of Cuba 15 years ago. And when he moved to the United States, he just was like the most impressive pianist on the planet, you know? And he is truly a genius. So he's now teaching at UM as well. Uh, then there's another guy who won a Grammy Award just recently, two years ago, Daphnis Prieto, who is one of the greatest drummers in the world right now. This young man, he's also a professor at USC, and they're all young, you know? So we decided to get together and do an album mm -hmm. called Quarantena, which means quarantine, mm -hmm. you know? Quarantena with family at home. That's the name of the album. And uh, the album came out in December, you know, the middle of December, and it, the critics like hailed it, they fell in love with it. And now we're getting ready to do a big concert uh, in about a week and a half from now at the uh, Gusman Hall with that band. Uh, we're not gonna have a crowd. We're gonna have five cameras. It's gonna be streamed all over the world, you know, everywhere, you know, for a certain price. And we're doing our first concert. I also did a concert of my own here in the living room of my house for the Kennedy Center, believe it or not. They emailed me and asked me if I could do a concert for them. And they said, look, no more than three people because we don't want, you know, and I want you guys to be masked up. And we did, we were here with masks in my house. We move all the furniture, everything. I hired a, a friend of mine who's an engineer, Bobby McEwen, and mm -hmm. he mic'd us up. We did an hour concert, man, right here in my living room. And uh, that was really fun, you know? So I keep on going, I, I don't stop, you know? That's the recurring kind of thing. Again, you didn't peak. <laughs> There's no good old days because you're still at it and the awards are more from the last 15 years than they were the first 30, 35 years. That's what I'm kind of gathering. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I, um, I'm never gonna stop until you know, I remember what Dizzy Gillespie said, I will die on stage. <laughs> and uh, and I, I knew Dizzy pretty well. And I said, you know, Dizzy, that's the same with me. I'm going to die on stage. But, you know, music has kept me healthy. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I examine myself every month and I'm good to go. I take care of myself. I don't, I'm not one of those guys that goes out there where people, you know, don't handle this the way they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. I stay home. I take walks around my neighborhood. I talk to my musicians and, and hundreds of musicians on the phone every single day. And I keep myself in this. I also have a radio show that's been on the air for 17 years. And that radio show is doing amazing. And I'm on WDNA 88.9 FM. Mm -hmm. And I have my own show, the Sammy Figueroa show. And then I have another show on Mixcloud, uh, which is called Social Music with Sammy Figueroa. And that show is a two hour show. It's a very eclectic show, both of them, because I get to play whatever the hell I want. Right. So I, I'm not jazz, I'm not rock, I'm everything. Right. So I can, I can play uh, Ying Chi, you know, Robin Ford, and then I can go from Robin Ford to Brazil, yeah. then from Brazil to Africa, from Africa to Electronica, 
from electronica to jazz, from jazz to you name it, uh, Nicaragua, Russia. I'll play it all in my show, you know? So it, it, check it out one day when you can. It's mm -hmm. called Social Music with Sammy Figueroa on Mixcloud every, every week. I do it once a week. And then my WDNA show is every Monday, you know? We'll be sure to plug that all in the lead <laughs> into the interview and the social media. And I'm looking forward to seeing your live stream concert. That sounds fantastic. So Sammy, can't thank you enough for your time, your energy and thank you, Darren. passion that you're putting out into the world. Keep it up, man. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for having me, man.